Hi, I'm Matt Kirkegaard, and thanks to Cry Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation. A little over a month ago, the federal government announced changes to the excise system that will see the excise brewers pay on smaller keg formats fall to match that of the traditional 50-litre keg. This had been lobbied for by small brewers for several years and was touted to have a range of benefits across areas such as workplace health and safety, beer freshness and the range of venues stocking keg beer. Given how long brewers had been lobbying for the change, the response from some brewers was quite surprising, with some expressing a range of concerns about the negative effects the change will have and whether smaller formats will even be used at all. So this week, in an attempt to get to the bottom of the issue, I chat with Nick Boots, General Manager, Kegstar Australia in New Zealand. With the changes 12 months away, I figured Kegstar would be paying very close attention to whether there is already demand for smaller kegs and what his business is projecting take-up will be. Nick and I chat about that, whether he thinks we will see a flood of one-way kegs from overseas and a range of other keg trends taking place here and overseas in an attempt to divine what impacts the excise changes will have for brewers. Enjoy the conversation. Nick Boots, thank you very much for joining uh, Beer as a Conversation. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, Matt. Mate, as I said in the intro, the reason that I wanted to get you on is that, you know, there's, there's been, uh, I mean, angst may or may not be the, the, the right word, but there's been a lot of discussion around what the government's uh, excise changes are going to mean um, for brewers uh, in terms of whether we're going to see actually see brewers use smaller kegs and whether there is going to be, you know, like a flood of uh, kegs coming internationally or those sorts of things. I guess if we can start, you know, what, what, what is your view, um, you know, what is Kegstar's view of the government's announcement? Yeah, look, it's, um, it's certainly an interesting one and it's one that, that, um, that we knew was being worked on um, by the RBA, but I think the announcement caught us uh, all a little bit on the hop. Uh, look, from, from, from a top line, you know, we're really encouraged by it and it's, and the reason is, you know, it talks about fresh beer and the OHNS benefits of, as well of you know, a 30 litre keg versus a 50 litre keg and the subsequent weight. Um, that you know, we think they're both fantastic things for the industry. Uh, how, how the cut will look um, once things settle down in future years, as far as 30 litres versus 20 litres versus 50 litres, it's to be determined. And it, it's fair to say that the vast majority of beer will doubtless stay in 50-litre vessels uh, and we'll never see the forest golds of the world clearly uh, in a um, in a 30-litre vessel. But um, for those smaller batches um, and those experimental batches, uh, it's a great opportunity to put them into less than 50 litres and, um, and get them out and keep them fresh in venue. We've spoken to a lot of brewers about um, you know what their attitudes are, and it, it seems a little bit mixed. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'd imagine that you guys have got a sort of tool up for whatever changes are. Are you out there um, talking to brewers, and, and, and what's your read? What what are you hearing back from brewers about whether they're going to uh, move to smaller formats? Yeah, look, we absolutely are, and we are getting um, mixed feedback from the trade. I think it's uncertainty is probably the resonating uh, theme. Uh, our business is kegs, and that's all we do. And we're also conscious of the fact that we've got a six-month lead time, so we need to have our plans locked in uh, by Christmas and our orders placed for, for less than 50-litre kegs. Uh, so it's, we are having those discussions. We are trying to get some forecasts um, out of brewers. 
It's also worth noting, though, we do already have a, quite a strong fleet of 30 litres and 19 and a half litres in Australia, which are predominantly used for those uh, exporting beer, also used by winemakers um, and, and spirit producers as well, who already take advantage of the fact they can use those smaller vessels. Uh, so we're, we're covered come 1st of July, but we will add to the fleet based on the feedback we get uh, over the next six months, that's for sure. What do you think would stop brewers from moving to it? Is it, is it just the cost of uh, you know, moving around smaller amounts of beer or you know, of selling beer in smaller volumes? Clearly, if you put the wrong beer in, into a 30-litre keg when it could, it's selling well in, in a 50-litre, your costs will uh, go up per litre because you're cleaning, the, you're cleaning more kegs, um, you're filling more kegs, you're transporting uh, more kegs. Uh, so, uh, you know, it certainly needs to be something that's well considered by brewers and they might launch a seasonal beer, for example, in the 30-litre, but might also do some uh, in a 50-litre and once um, traction uh, is gained for that beer, perhaps then the, the shift will come to, to 50 litres, which is probably one of the benefits of, of the Kegstar model uh, in that they can pick and choose uh, whichever, um, whichever the market determines rather than having to you know, procure a keg and being uh, stuck with it for the long term. Decisions like this, I, I guess it would be nice if brewers could make the decision and have the market accept them, but you did raise the ergonomic benefits of um, smaller kegs. Do you think that retailers... Uh, will start demanding smaller formats because of the, the, the workplace health and safety benefits? Look, I, I, I thought it was inevitable that, that it was going to happen. Uh, when you look at the weight of a full 50-litre keg, it's, it's really is prohibitive. And if you, you look at anything you, you find, whether it be in a Bunnings store or, or anything else that's um, that big box format, it's very rare to find something that sits around 65 kilos. It's, it's just not, um, it's not a smart, it's not a healthy option. So I think it was going to come... Um, Will it uh, catch on and, and become uh, mandated? Uh, that's, I think that's to be seen. I'm not necessarily sure that will be the case. I, I look at a market like New Zealand where we also have a strong business and uh, clearly they've had um, excise uh, in, at, uh, at the same rate for an extended period of time. Our fleet over there um, is between 10 and 15% of 30 litre kegs and the rest is in 50s. Uh, and in fact, in the last 12 months, We've actually seen um, 50 litres as a share of our total business in New Zealand grow. Um, so there's actually been a shift away from the smaller formats um, and, um, and to the 50s, I think, because the economies of scale that come with a 50 litre keg are, are certainly compelling. Okay, that's interesting. In New Zealand, who tends to use the smaller formats? Is, like, is it a particular type of brewer or a particular type of beer? It's a combination uh, of the two. Certainly you have some brewers um, who, are, who are more creative uh, coming out with multiple beers on a regu- new beers on a regular basis, doing darker ales, um, doing uh, funky sours, etc. But um, they they're making smaller formats, and you know that's that's an ideal pack size for them, whether it be the 30s or the 19.5s. Uh, but then you get some um, who are, are clearly making beers that are more marketly broadly acceptable, more mainstream, let's say. Uh, so they might launch them in a 30 and once they get traction, um, then they'll switch to a 50 and stay in the 50 only and, and you know, extract some economies of scale there. Okay, well, that's, that's interesting because, yeah, uh, you never know, but the, as I like to say, the... Uh, you know, the, the law of unintended consequences, you never really quite know how changes are going to flow through to the market. But uh, looking at that experience probably uh, is a decent guide. So our, our numbers suggest between 
uh, between three and seven percent of rentals um, from uh, July 1, 19 to, to June 30, 20 uh, will be in less than 50 litre vessels. That, that's our current thinking and our fleet um, will reflect that. Uh, and probably some further growth in the three years after that, somewhere between 10 and 15 percent. Uh, uh, and beyond that, it would be real crystal ball stuff. But uh, I would suggest that you know somewhere between 10 and 15% is where less than 50 litres might end up, uh, unless, of course, uh, the government um, advances the push through artificial means of less than 50 litres to, again, to drive that OH&S agenda, which um, we would be, uh, would be supportive of. Um, but um, time will tell if that happens in the future. And the government has an incredible capacity to uh, to, to skew markets with uh, changes in incentives, don't they? Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, a, a small you know, a small taxation change to actually incentivise less than fifty litres would really be a, a you know one hundred and eighty degree turn from from where we've traditionally been for a long time. Uh, but we you know we have to stay nimble uh, as a business and be prepared for for whatever they might deliver. One of the other concerns that's been raised and uh, it, it's been quite vocal over on the west coast of Australia um, is that the change is, is going to see floodgates open for um, one-way kegs, either from the, the, the east coast to the west coast or um, international imports. Uh, because I understand that uh, one-way kegs don't traditionally come in a 50-litre format, um, so the smaller format will uh, make it easier for um, beers, beers to come uh into the country? Yeah, yeah, look, uh, and look, I think we probably will see an increase. I think there's some validity to, to that concern. But I'd also make the point um, that I don't think that is the, the be-all, end-all. Uh, and I think if, if those international beers uh, were strong enough to stand on their own two feet um, as a 30-litre as a, as a format previous legislation change, then it's not, not going to change the, the landscape considerably post the change that... That probably will be an increase, but uh, I wouldn't suggest a flood uh, is is likely. But you guys operate in Australia and New Zealand now. Does that mean that there's interoperability between those two businesses? That if uh, a brewer in Melbourne sends a beer in Kegstar to New Zealand, that it it, it, it performs the same function? Is, is is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You now we we pull kegs globally, so we have circa 2,000 kegs um, change uh, change markets between Australia and New Zealand on a monthly basis, and the Kiwi brewers sending beer here, um, and vice versa. So we're a big supporter of that. And we also do the same thing with our UK, Ireland, and US businesses. We we can send a stainless steel keg to any of those markets around the world, and it's, it's something we encourage, and it's something we've been, been working on for some time. So we'll continue to do that, and, and I think to your point, I think we'll see more 30 litres um, crossing crossing the oceans around the world, you know, and if that helps um, encourage uh, new beers to grow the market in Australia, then that's a great thing. And and conversely, we want to help um, Australian brewers export their beer in stainless steel kegs around the world. Uh, so you know, it's a bit of a win-win there, I think. Yeah, I'm actually really surprised. I hadn't realised um, how extensive the, the Kegstar model was already servicing the UK and USA. So technically, assuming a brewer wanted, you know, was happy to use Kegstar, there's been no no imper- you know, no problem with them sending the beers over um, compared to a one-way keg now already. So, is that right? Yeah, absolutely, it's right. And you know, we've I've got countless examples where we've actually helped facilitate um, brewers to make contacts. Uh, in the in the UK, uh, 
where Australian kegs have been exported over um, in a keg-star vessel, uh, and then a UK brewer has filled them and sent them back to Australia. And it's one of the great beauties of the model that you get the the quality that comes from shipping a keg and the peace of mind uh, in a in a stainless steel keg. Uh, yet you can ship it all around the world. So you know we don't all need to be fighting domestically for the same taps. Um, the the world is is pardon the pun is, is certainly the oyster for um for our brewers. Oh, okay, but yeah, no. Just back to that point of um, you know, th- smaller one-way kegs. It, it it doesn't sound like there's really been any uh, dis- you know um, barrier to imports coming in. So I, I, I guess you could almost project that that logic holding, um, there won't suddenly be a flood of smaller one-way kegs just because of the change. It, look, it, certainly, they'll be cheaper. Uh, whether the whether an importer will, will bank the increased margin um, or, or a retailer. Who, who knows? But you know, if um, if a consumer has been willing to pay um, a premium price for an imported craft beer from, let's say, Anchor Steam out of uh, out of the US uh, previously, then nothing's going to change greatly. Now, will there be more US, UK, European brewers look at the Australian market? Perhaps, but um, I don't think that the dollar saving through the legislation change will. Will be will give us the flood um, that some people fear, but um, you know time will tell. Is there a, a difference between stainless steel and you know the plastic one way that have the the the, the, the bladder in them? I, have you ever considered you know running those in addition to your stainless for for the right markets? Look, we ha- we haven't, and, and simply that the Kegstar business um, w- was born um, through you know it was founded by you know by Adam Tripp Smith, who was the creator of, of Vale McLaren Vale Brewing um, in South Australia, and um, Adam used one-way kegs and had a um, had a bad experience with one exploding uh, on him once, and it was at that point in time that he determined, hey, we need to get you know a keg rental model up, up in Australia. Uh, and that was the motivator, and that's why we're here today with the Kegstar business. Uh, so, you know, for that reason, uh, and just pure demand uh, from brewers that, um, you know, stainless steel and, and the premium stainless steel from Europe is something that we, we're very much uh, fixed on. Um, you know, it gives us a 30-year life on those kegs. Um, we think it insulates the beer so well, it travels so uh, so well with them. So we pay the premium for, for the premium product and, you know, we try and, you know, we try and deliver a premium service um, at the same time. Mate, you spend a lot of time uh, travelling. You, you were over at uh, Craft Brew, the, the Craft Brew Convention in the US in Nashville recently. Um, have, have you picked up many international trends that may affect uh, local brewers uh, through those travels? Look, there's certainly, um, there's certainly growing interest uh, overseas for Australian beers. There's, there's no doubt about that. And, and those who took the time to go to, to CBC in Nashville um, would have seen that. Uh, so, you know, and the conversations I, I often have uh, with brewers uh, who are having uh, a tough time perhaps getting the growth they want domestically um, is to spread their wings and um, to use a, you know, an AFL commentator term, um, you know, raise their eyes across the broader playing field uh, and you know, utilise options that that Keystar provide uh, to send uh, their their beer all around the world and and keep it fresh uh, and enjoyed by by those globally because there's certainly there's growing demand in uh, Australian beer and, and our styles. 
Are there any moves in, in, in the US on trade that brewers here should be aware of? I mean, I, again, I, this is just a very much uh, open-ended question because I wasn't in, haven't been to the US for a couple of years, but uh, it does seem to be a very rapidly uh, evolving market. Yes, yeah, certainly. And look, as far as free trade goes, there's clearly the government's made great inroads uh, in free trade in, in Asia, and I know there's free trade agreements in place uh, with a number of, of Asian markets. Uh, so there's clearly there's a lot of benefit there for the wine guys who are taking great advantage of that. But surely that uh, benefit exists also um, for the for the Australian brewing industry. Uh, so um, I think there's certainly opportunity there. And one thing I did see at CBC was, you know, what was traditionally um, a, a US trade show and is still marketed as such has really become um, a global trade show. And the number of you know South American uh, brewers, ingredient suppliers, uh, Canadian, uh, Asian, whatever the case may be, that, that that I now bump into at these shows, it really suggests that you know the industry is, is globalising at a at a far greater rate, and I think that's certainly to the benefit um, of us in Australia, who've who've only got twenty odd million people um, to sell our beer to, that uh, when we actually you know uh, take our eyes up to the horizon, we can see that there's actually a a great world out there of opportunity. Reading a lot of the headlines in the US, it sounds like some of the big uh, breweries, Sierra Nevada, um, Stone, uh, sort of losing uh, you know, volume. They're, they're, they're actually seeing uh, volume shrink a little bit. And we've even seen breweries like Stone start to embrace, embrace the local brewery movie, movement to keep uh, pace with the uh, you know the, the hyper local uh, breweries that seem to be really growing quite quickly. Do you think that has a uh, has the ability to impact um, you know like your business um, in terms of breweries not needing to, to send beer or not even setting up to send beer? Um, you know, great distances. Yeah, well, look, it's an interesting dynamic, and I, and I think it's one we're quite away from here in Australia. Uh, where I think we've still got quite a bit of growth. Uh, given the consolidation rate uh, in somewhere like New Zealand, they've actually got twice as many breweries per head. Uh, so we've got some room to move uh, here. Um, but it's probably the point you touch on around not needing to send beer a great distance is probably a key motivator as to why you know Kegstar acquired the Keg Lease business from from the Meddings family last year. And um, keg lease is an ideal uh, vehicle uh, for those who just want to sell keg in their own tap room or just you know, in their uh, own uh, area and perhaps won't fully benefit from the keg star logistics um, uh, benefits that, that we deliver, that keg lease um, to lease a keg, make it your own, put your own brand on the side is really an easy vehicle um, for those who can um, who just want to sell their beer more locally. Got to have uh, gone and made that sound like a, uh, a, a terrible ad because uh, I'd completely forgotten about the Bintani that you'd bought the keg lease uh, from Bintani, and I thought I'd thrown a curly one at you about uh, <laughs> trends that may be <laughs> trends that may be uh, going against uh, the, the Kegstar business model. But um, it, 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 was that the reason that uh, the Bintani business was it, it was an attractive purchase last year look we we certainly acknowledged that um, there was demand for kegs that um, the kickstar model uh, didn't necessarily service and that was typically for for those in that startup mode particularly who who just wanted you know 50 kegs 
to sending that to selling their own venue or just throwing the back of the ute, um, drop the pub around the corner. They could keep track of them easily. Um, that you know, leasing was a really good option for them, which is why we were either launched our own um, or tapped um, Bintani on the on the shoulder and and, and offered to buy that business, which is a, a great business and has been a great pickup. So it, it really is complementary for us. And then what we've typically seen is brewers once that once they grow um, and they send their beer further afield then Kickstar, uh, it's where Kickstar really hits the road for them. They could send any number of kegs um, further afield in their own state or interstate or, or as we've touched on, overseas uh, and not have to worry uh, about the exorbitant cost of getting them returned empty um, or, worst of all, um, having them lost, which is, is clearly a major industry issue. Mm. I, I, I was remember thinking at the time that Bintani lo- uh, launched that business that one of the uh, attractive elements of that um, for brewers was that they could brand the kegs themselves. And you know, I, I always think that seeing an empty keg of a branded beer out the back of a pub is some of the best advertising. Just you know, subliminal um, message about this beer is selling. Um, is, is that still the case um, with the lease kegs? Look, um, they can certainly brand, uh, brand their kegs. Some brewers choose not to. I'd suggest that the vast majority acknowledge that it's what's inside the keg um, is 95% um, of, of what it's about. Some people use a lot of kegs in their, in their tap rooms, as whether they be seats or as in marketing or whatever the case may be, and certainly keg lease is a great uh, option for that. Um, as far as having them sitting on the side of the road, etc., you know, sometimes they end up in fairly precarious positions and, um, you know, we make sure we're out there collecting, you know, thousands and thousands of kegs a day to, to avoid that. One of the great issues um, has been, and I think it's given rise to Kegstar, is how do I get my two kegs back when I'm a Melbourne brewer and they're in cans? Uh, you know, sometimes it can be a three- or a six-month process to get them back um, if they come back at all. So uh, I think having a brand um, plastered on the side of a keg uh, when it's um, getting in the way of pedestrians, et cetera, et cetera, can be a, a challenge. Um, so I, I think the upside for, for most is actually seen as, you know what, I, I can go without the branding um, as long as my beer is getting to the venue fresh. And you know what, I don't need to worry about spending 10, 15 bucks to get an empty keg back, which really erodes uh, margin and in, in obviously in the, the sale itself. Excellent. Well, I guess you guys are going to have a busy 19 months uh, or a busy seven months because given you need to be ordering uh, by December this year to, to have your kegs ready for June. So we might even just touch base and sort of keep track of uh, you know, what sort of orders you're getting in um, in advance just to see what you know, we can expect in the marketplace as of uh, 1 July next year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Matt. We're uh, more than happy to do that and you know, happy to share our learnings with the, with the broader market. Terrific. Nick, well, uh, thank you very much for joining us and uh, having a bit of a chat about uh, kegs and keg sizes today. No worries. Thanks, Matt. Catch you later. And that was Nick Boots from Kegstar. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can also find the Hot Products Australia crop report in the show notes as well. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener. And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack 
of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation and we look forward to another conversation next week. <laughs>